Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Over the last decade, we've all watched the heartbreaking experience of refugees fleeing their homes because of war, conflict, or persecution. Most often, I think that we think about the challenges that families and individuals face while actively going through the process of resettlement. The dangers of overcrowded boats, the journey to the overcrowded airport, the heartbreak of not having access to food, water, and shelter, and the grief of leaving one's home behind. But there's also another huge part of the refugee experience that we often pay less attention to, or at least I know that I historically have paid less attention to. And that's the unique challenges that refugees face once they're settled into into new communities. One such challenge is access to healthcare. Imagine being a mother and traveling to a new country with your children, and you need to see a doctor. Your kids need doctor's appointments, but you don't have the information, the time, the understanding of the local language, the documents, etc., to actually go. And so you put off your appointment, and then your health problems go untreated, and it actually makes your life more challenging. That's the problem that our guest has set out to solve. And he did so in a creative way. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's guest is Aral Suramelia, a Harvard-educated doctor who founded an app to help women get more access to healthcare. What makes Aral's work unique is that it focuses on the public health of refugee populations. He's combined his doctor training and his app to help people who wouldn't traditionally have access to healthcare. And in this episode, we talk about how what I, or, or maybe you, if you're not a refugee, experience with our health is never going to be as difficult or morbid as it is for refugees. And on top of that, you and I probably have a lot more access to resources that refugees haven't been afforded. For example, pregnant women in refugee camps have to jump through a million hoops to communicate with doctors, hospitals, or mental health professionals. And then on top of that, add in the experience of being isolated from your friends and family in your refugee camp. And on top of that, negative health experiences disproportionately affect refugees. But Aral's solution is this mobile app that can provide pregnant refugee women and and refugees in general simple access to healthcare. Plus, it'll help store their vitals, their vaccines, other relevant information for themselves and their families. In today's episode, Aral and I talk about his interest in helping refugees maintain their physical and emotional health, and the unique ways he's chosen to step up and make a difference for refugees in his community and around the world. While the crisis continues, Aral's message is clear. There is a solution. I love this episode. I think you're going to love it too. So let's jump straight in. Aurel, you're in Istanbul, Turkey right now, and you're 
working to support refugees. And I think a really good spot to start might actually just be talking about the journey that the refugees you serve have gone through. Uh, how did they end up in, in Turkey? And what does that journey look like for them? So the Syrian crisis started in 2011. And uh, you might notice, but it is the deemed as the largest refugee crisis since World War II. And Turkey is a immediate neighbor of Syria. And pre-war, we would actually visit like uh, Syria a lot and they would visit Turkey a lot. So I think it was uh, kind of normal that once there was a pushback and conflict, they kind of flee to Turkey. And one uh, good thing that I'm quite proud of my country is that Turkey implemented an open-door policy. So they didn't really stop refugees in the borders, but they allowed them to get in. But it is still a huge, uh, huge trip and a, and a traumatic experience for them because they they left their ho- houses quite uh, urgently. So it was not a, a, they didn't really have much time and they came through the borders and some of them, the lucky ones were relocated in the refugee camps near the, the Syria border. Some of them had to kind of flee to the larger cities um, because, I mean, it's it's almost 4 million people uh, that arrived in Turkey. And you can imagine it's not that easy to put everyone in a, in a refugee camp and serve them better. Um, so what we saw uh, is that a lot of them had to relocate to uh, large cities like Istanbul, uh, which harbors almost 1 million Syrian refugees at the oh, moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're basically trying to find a job and housing to and to navigate the, the life uh, in Turkey as, as refugees. I've gotten to spend a good amount of time in refugee camps around the world, uh, especially back when I was a full-time humanitarian photographer. And I know that there's a good amount of diversity in in what housing for refugees can look like. I've seen anything from essentially tent village communities uh, to kind of more temporary structures to communal housing. And then, of course, I've got friends who are refugees here in Portland who just, you know, they live in a house across town uh, with their family or they live in an apartment. You say there's a million refugees in Istanbul itself. You know, what does the housing situation look like for uh, the people that you're serving? Majority of the, the refugees in Istanbul live in the suburban parts of the city. So um, like uh, right near the borders of the city uh, in usually unsafe houses uh, that were either to be demolished or, or very unhygienic and unsafe. And one thing maybe to mention about Istanbul is Istanbul is, is a city of 20 million people and um, it is under a huge risk for, for uh, natural disasters and everything. So what we usually see is people living in places that no one should live uh, under. How did you come to uh, the point of, of serving the refugee community in Turkey? It was a it was a long process, I would say. Uh, my experience working with vulnerable populations started uh, in high school, working with different nonprofits. And, and where did you go to high school? Um, it's in Turkey, American Robert College. 
so we had community of women projects and everything. Funny thing is, I was actually planning to go to Berkeley to uh, study jazz, uh, jazz huh. guitar. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I lost my father to pancreatic cancer. And for some reason, not really consciously, I decided to study medicine. That's all I wanted to, to serve the, the communities. And then I got interested in public health and, uh, you know, humanitarian aid, working in disasters, uh, earthquakes around Turkey uh, and other countries. Uh, but what I saw the most working in the um, clinics that served these uh, populations was refugees re- experience a huge trauma of, of fleeing their homes. And that's how I guess uh, I got involved in, in working with them first in the clinics, refugee camps, uh, and then kind of uh, starting my own uh, nonprofit where I can serve them in a, a different way. I think that sounds so understandable that there would be this trauma from fleeing your home country and and moving into a new community, especially when it comes to health. What did some of the challenges look like uh, that were particularly unique to refugees who maybe didn't have access to the care that they needed? Yeah, so I mean, the easiest way to think about it is everything that we experience uh, uh, health-wise, any disease that we experience that are usually not very morbid or, or really important in our lives, they experience it much worse than that. So I wouldn't say it's a specific diseases, but rather how they experience the diseases or how serious that their uh, disease progress goes. Obviously, with the children and women, which are usually my, my focus, we see a lot of infections that are vaccine preventable, which we have, have had uh, the solution or the treatment for the last 50 years. But now that we don't have the vaccines for them, uh, it became a huge issue. Again, with the, with the women, um, being pregnant in a refugee camp or while you're a refugee is a very lonely uh, process. You don't really have people to um, understand your needs. You can't communicate with the, with the doctor when you go to the, to the hospital. Uh, so those are the largest issues that we saw. And obviously, one thing to add here is the mental health uh, cost of, of being a refugee or fleeing your home. Uh, so yeah, I would I would say those are the biggest uh, issues that I that uh, I saw in the field. I'd love to zoom in just one step further, and and maybe you can help me understand why everyday health concerns that you or me might experience might disproportionately affect refugees. What is it that they are uniquely facing uh, that you know somebody who's maybe local to Istanbul may not experience in the same way? It starts with the with the access to healthcare. Uh, so mm. when you or me have have a disease, we can either go to the pharmacy and pay for the drugs, or quickly go to a doctor or talk to our primary care physician and uh, get what we need. So it's not really that easy for the refugees uh, if you don't know the language, if you don't know whether you can receive care. Uh, without paying anything or how much you need to pay. 
that becomes a whole issue. On top of that, and one of the reasons that we are doing what we are doing is when you are in a new country as a refugee, you have to navigate a lot of things. So you need to find housing, you need to find a job to uh, take care of your family, you need to find schooling for your child. And that's when the health uh, or your health needs loses their priority until they become a serious, very serious issue when you cannot really do other things anymore. Uh, so I think those are the critical points uh, that we saw. And obviously living in unhygienic or unsafe conditions do bring a lot of uh, health risks with them, especially for infections, you know, the chronic diseases where they cannot get the the medication they need for a longer time and everything. So, yeah. I think it's really helpful to hear some of these specific unique problems that uh, refugees may be facing once they arrive in a community. Because I feel like for me, when I think about refugees, I just think about, all right, let's let's help people get to you know, a final destination that's safer. Let's help them resettle. Uh, I think that's been a big focus with what's going on with Afghan refugees right now is I'm mostly thinking about how do you get people to safety? But the reality is once somebody reaches a point of quote-unquote safety, they still have so many more obstacles to overcome, but maybe a little bit less attention. And so, first of all, I'm just very grateful that you are providing that attention to serve this community. But second, I think it's just helpful for me and listeners to hear that that there are these unmet needs that there are opportunities to create solutions for. And, you know, you work to create solutions as a physician, but it sounds like you saw an opportunity to go one step further beyond, you know, your role, you know, serving people one-on-one to ultimately create a tech tool that can help more people. Maybe you could tell me about Hera. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Before I go into Hera, maybe one thing to mention is, you know, when you're in medical school, everyone has something that they're fascinated with. Like many of my friends were amazed by how uh, we do the brain surgeries for really small tumors and how you pull that out and everything. One thing that kind of fascinated me was, Uh, learning uh, that if we can get everyone or every child to wash their hands with soap, we would decrease the number of uh, infections uh, or hospital admissions due to infections by half. So that's, I guess, how I kind of navigated uh, from serving people to communities rather. Um, But from there, we came to her a couple of years ago and basically uh, what we try to do uh, with Hera is help them access vital or uh, vaccines and pregnancy care through their mobile phones. So how it works is refugee mothers or pregnant women download the Hera app and it automatically calculates when they need to go for a vaccine appointment for their children or pregnancy checkup if the woman is pregnant. In addition to that, they can navigate the closest health center or call emergency services if they need one. And Hera can also keep their medical records in a secure and digital way in the app. So we're essentially just putting the health back into the hands of the refugee individuals themselves. So what I'm kind of pulling out of this, and and 
let me know if I'm wrong about any of this or if I'm missing other things because I'm sure I'm missing other things. It sounds like, one, this is just creating a helpful hub to say, you know, this is the information you need to take care of your own health and to take care of, you know, the health of your children and family. Making that just more easily accessible is like huge. And then two, it sounds like just because of the experience the refugees have of of maybe continuing to be mobile and moving to a different community or you know maybe being really busy trying to find a job and housing etc it's providing resources like reminders or it's providing resources like giving you all of your medical information in a mobile easy to kind of transport way so that you know you can take control of your health even in the midst of unique circumstances. What am I missing? What other cool good news is there? <laughs> yeah, no, you have summed it up perfectly. Um, and the idea behind it is the solutions we provide for mobile populations have to be mobile because as you mentioned, they tend to move a lot and they move between cities, between countries, and they just need a source that can help them navigate the healthcare services that are available to them. And we do kind of pride ourselves on being not uh, replicating other solutions that exist, but rather help them connect them uh, with the healthcare sources that they can actually receive. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about how Aral went from having zero technical background to building a mobile app. And now where he's planning on piloting Terra to help refugees in other parts of the world next. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems and breaking rules to rewrite the narrative for women. And I know a lot of you have already started listening to the show. I've been hearing great feedback from y'all that you are loving this show. And if you haven't started listening yet, I really recommend you check out their most recent episode. It includes co-hosts Sabrina and Cassia, and they talk about what they have learned through the course of making this podcast. In the episode, they reflect on the audacious, gutsy guests whose stories, advice, and badassery comprised season one of the show. And the co-hosts also discuss conversations that left a mark and opened their eyes to the vast array of experiences that women around the world are facing. Sabrina reveals the episode that most challenged her, and Cassia shares how she has personally grown in unexpected ways. You can find this most recent episode of Breaking Glass Podcast by just searching for Breaking Glass wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also learn more at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. One more time, you can search for Breaking Glass and visit breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. Sounds Good is supported by Moon March. Moon March is the agency that partners with causes, campaigns, and companies to create a better future. 
Let me tell you, the market is changing, but advertising agencies are clinging to the past. Their models are built to sell more, generate demand, and feed on consumerism. However, when 91% of millennials would switch brands to one associated with a cause and 73% of global millennials are willing to pay extra for sustainable offerings, those old models don't work. Which brings me to Moon March. Moon March has created a new model. They serve as a creative ecosystem that builds teams around projects, teams of award-winning, exclusive members with over 10 years of experience who've worked with the likes of Google, Reebok, Advil, Disney, Nike, AT&T, Viacom, Ciroc, and more. And the great thing is that this model grants you the access to world-class talent free from exorbitant fees. And on top of that, Moon March believes in process. Each team has a lead strategist to ensure all client-facing communication is streamlined and each project follows a well-defined process. Contrary to what some may tell you, creativity does not thrive in chaos. Just like freedom needs laws, creativity flourishes with structure. If you are a brave soul running a company, cause, or campaign that dares to rethink cultural establishments, Moon March is here to ensure your story earns the participation it deserves. You can learn more about Moon March, explore their past work, and get in touch at moonmarch.com. That's Moon. M-A-R-C-H dot com. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You created this when I believe you were a medical student. Did you have any sort of tech background to this? Like, you know, what skills did you bring to the table? Because building an app is uh, is hard. It is hard. <laughs> and to be honest, I really didn't have any technical background. I'm still watching YouTube videos on how to code <laughs> just to learn. So it's it's the uh, there is this problem, uh, and how can we solve it? And then we started with more physical solutions like distributing pamphlets and or talking to people one-on-one. But then we realized tech would enable a, a huge scalability for what we are doing. And that's when we realized this makes sense, but uh, we really didn't have the experience to develop it ourselves. So we relied a lot on, on external service providers or um, advisors to help us on that. 
Uh, but I'm still learning. I'm a uh, aspiring coder, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and I love you just answered what my follow-up question was going to be, which is that I love that you started small. I think that every single like organization, movement, social impact tool that exists started way smaller than it is today. And it's actually just really encouraging to hear that you saw a problem and you said, oh, maybe I can help solve this with pamphlets. And then you said, oh, I could help solve this help solve this problem for more people by just taking this to the next level. And who knows what that next level will be after this too. Yeah, that's definitely the way we went about it. And that's how I think uh, solutions that we have for vulnerable populations have to be. They have to kind of, I like to say, come from the field. So not from the solution to problem, but rather problem to the solution. Uh, so, yeah. What does the future look like for this? Right now, it sounds like you were specifically serving refugees in Turkey. Over time, could you see this being expanded to supporting other refugees or maybe expanding the resources that are inside of this app? Yeah, so uh, I would say... Every forward step that we take, I kind of think of them as a proof of concept or a pilot for something bigger. Uh, we did start with Syrian refugees, and one of the biggest problems that we saw were with child and maternal health. Uh, but there are actually a lot of uses for, for uh, mobile tools uh, for other kind of diseases. But more importantly, our, I think our future uh, is, or the way I like to put it is, have HERA as a tool that can be used in, even in newly occurring humanitarian disasters where we can distribute phones to the refugees and help them connect to the healthcare they need and also connect to the people around the world that uh, they have friends or their friends or their families. So I think that's the the ultimate goal for me. So the Syrian refugee crisis has been a huge experience for us. And now we are uh, expecting an influx of Afghan refugees over the next couple of years. And we are also kind of seeing if we can pilot with other uh, populations in India, Nigeria and Iraq, uh, whether this would be useful. So I think that's that's the process or the future that we see with Terra. And Afghanistan is either a border country or super close to Turkey, right? Uh, yeah, we don't actually share borders uh, with Afghanistan, but yeah, we are pretty close. How welcoming will Turkey be to Afghan refugees? Do you know yet? Is there any kind of indication what that's going to look like? I mean, I think it's hard to... Uh, no, for sure. There are a lot of uh, political and economic gears on the move. Uh, one thing that I know is uh, the Syrian refugee community in Turkey is the largest refugee population in the world. Oh, wow. And we did kind of uh, the services, the public so services were overstretched. So I'm really not sure how it's going to play out with the influx of Afghan refugees or whether it will take a long time uh, for them to resettle in Turkey. And to my knowledge, there's still nothing certain on whether Turkey will accept anyone or whether they'll move to another country. 
So it's really hard to kind of uh, think about uh, serving them at the moment. That makes sense. I can imagine there's a, a lot of moving parts. And um, I'm just very grateful that you and your community are, are serving this community of refugees right now. I think that's really cool to hear. Um, and I'm hopeful for more for the future. And Grateful for your technology, which you know will hopefully scale to have more of an impact. As we close our conversation, um, I want to wrap with one more question, which is just that for others who are perhaps serving a community or have a, a certain care for you know some cause that matters a lot to them, and they know that they want to start something that makes a difference, uh, that's maybe a little bit outside the box, a little bit creative, what advice would you give to them as somebody who has created something outside the box, a little bit creative, uh, and ultimately built to help people and make a difference? I think one one thing uh, I saw and experienced throughout my journey in, in the humanitarian or nonprofit sector is the pivots. So I would recommend not being afraid of pivots uh, because it was a huge part of my journey. And this doesn't mean that the solutions that we come up with are not important, but they all of them kind of build up to, to the point that we come at the end. So I would say... Don't be afraid of pivots and always be on the look for um, opportunities or even the pain points that you see in the community that you want to work with. That's Aral Suramelia, medical doctor, app creator, and founder of Hera. You can learn more and support Hera's work by visiting their website at project Hera.com. That's project-hera.com. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our all-new website, goodgoodgood.co. This episode is created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, Rhea Bhagwat, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of the show, please share it on your Instagram stories to help get the word out about good news and good action. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and find one way to support the refugees in your community. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?